Strategic Financial Partners presents the Rush Hour Podcast, where the rubber meets the road on the economy, stock market, and personal finance. Now here's your host, Matt Rush. Welcome to the Rush Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rush, and with me today is Ann Gannon. Ann is a CPA by trade and a founder of the Largo Group. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, well, I appreciate you joining us. So I was reading through your bio, and it says that you're an entrepreneur, a college-level instructor, and a former golfer turned CPA. That in itself, I think we could cover in a podcast, but why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself, what you do at your firm, and why you're doing it? Yes. So I uh, grew up playing competitive golf uh, all the way through college, a year professionally. And then I very quickly realized that I did not like playing for money and I'm risk averse by nature. And so, um, you know, kind of knew that I'd always really enjoyed accounting courses and went back to school for my master's in accounting, worked at a big firm for a few years. And then um, sort of what I had learned in golf was a lot of the entrepreneurial spirit. Um, You know, a lot of people I had met in my golfing past and were entrepreneurs, hospitality industry, and working at a big firm, it was very hard to serve that type of client. You know, a lot of our clients were bigger or had, you know, public companies, and it just didn't have that same relationship. So um, my goal in starting the Largo Group was a way to serve that client, you know, the entrepreneur, the hospitality industry, business, um, and also be able to, you know, kind of do it my own way. So, you know, one of our founding principles is that we are a monthly accounting firm that we interact with our clients every week and that, you know, we are flat fee. So if there's something comes up that's unexpected, you know, we're not going to send you a big bill that it's part of us engaging with you and being part of your team. And I think over the last year, COVID-19 sort of proved that model that, you know, we were on the phone 24-7 in the first few months, you know, making sure we could help our clients get the relief they needed. And at the end of the day, you know, pretty much over 90% of our clients are at least where they were in 19, if not in slightly better position. And I think that proves that that interaction is such a better model for the entrepreneur. So that's why I do what I do. Great. Well, let's talk a little bit about the business owner and the entrepreneur. You know, in my role talking with people all over the country, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a business owner say that my business is my retirement. And I'm sure that you've heard that as well. And we went into 2020, obviously COVID happened. How do you think that has impacted the mindset of business owners with the business sort of being their retirement plan? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of business owners, it was sort of that gut check moment. You know, first of all, Uh, is it something worth sticking out? You know, I think a lot of our clients during the first, you know, 30, 60 days of COVID, you really had people who said, do I even want to do this anymore? Is it worth the fight? I mean, I had a, you know, two right away that actually said, it's not, I'm closing my doors. I I just don't want to to stick it out. But then you had the ones that said, you know, yes, hundred percent. I love what I do. I love my business. I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to find a way, but on the other side of that was the reality of, oh my God, I mean, will I, will I be able to have that sale at the end of this? Is my business worth anything? So I think it was really the time to sit back and say, realistically, what is my business? You know, is this something that I'll be able to sell eventually? And, you know, the realization that it's something that you really need to be thinking about all the time and not just waiting for this big payout that's going to come, you know, five years from now with no work between now and then. So I know for most business owners, the largest asset that they're going to have is going to be the business itself. 
So how do you diversify away from it? It seems like there's a certain level of comfort. You know, if you're a restaurant owner, I would assume that you're you're comfortable opening up another restaurant, but how do you begin to diversify away from that? And how do you, in particular, walk your clients through some of the ideas, maybe the rationale of what it is that they're trying to build and, and how to build up that diversification? Right. I mean, I think it starts with cash flow. I mean, especially in the wake of COVID, uh, what we've really been trying to coach our clients to do is to track their cash. You know, if it's not daily, at least weekly, if it's not weekly, at least monthly to really see what is your free cash, right? So did your business make $1,000 last month? Did it make $10,000 last month or $100,000 last month? And from that point, I think you can start to have those diversification discussions you know, we do have clients who are starting to think for the first time about investing in more traditional investment vehicles, or at least putting it, you know, that 10,000 iron last month into a separate savings account. I mean, I think similar to Great Depression, you know, it will never feel like your business has enough cash again, because who could have ever imagined that sales would go to zero overnight? But now that you've seen that happen once, I think business owners will have that scar tissue for a long time, which isn't a bad thing because it could get them thinking about maybe I want to have a money market account or, you know, a stock portfolio or something that isn't a restaurant for that rainy day fund. Um, and that's sort of, you know, what we're really trying to coach them to is, you know, it starts with kind of knowing what your free cash is every month and then from that, you know, how much do you feel comfortable with, you know, putting in a separate savings, moving actually out of the, you know, operating account into something that's completely separate. And then from there, you know, over time, that is your the start to your nest egg. Yeah, I know I've seen a lot of business clients that we work with going into the pandemic, maybe had two months maximum of payables on reserves. And now I think that cash is king. So you sort of want to have that safety net of reserves built up. And I couldn't agree with you more on tracking the cash. But what are your thoughts on socking away money inside of qualified plans? I know that it used to be 401ks were kind of a big thing. And then the matches went away. I know that's an expense to the business owner. But just in general, if we're looking to track the cash and make sure that we have payables, especially paying ourselves, what are your thoughts there? Well, I can tell you, you know, like you said at the beginning where, you know, so many business owners, their business is their only asset. I think what gets missed in that discussion is it can be a good vehicle for the owner as well. So I do think that it's something that businesses should revisit. I do also think that, you know, right now it's an incredibly hard labor market. It's hard to find good employees. It's hard to find good managers. And I have heard the discussion come up more and more in the last few months of, okay, you know, maybe we want to do a 401k just to incentivize our managers to get them thinking that, you know, this isn't the job for just this year, but it is a career path. And, um, you know, I think that's a great way to show your employees that you do value that. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of business owners, a lot, it's just comes down to education. But when you look at it, there's so much good that can be done in that type of vehicle, not just for the owner, but also the employees for the company as a whole. And, you know, I think it's something that should be visited especially this year um, in light of the COVID issues. So let's shift gears away from the day-to-day operations of the business and talk more about the selling of a practice. I've always heard that a business owner should start a business day one with the end in mind, and we're constantly having tax reform, other changes to the tax laws. But regardless of that, what do you think are some of the things that you should do to position yourself 
ultimately for the exit, whether that's day one, year 10, four days before the sale, what, what are some things that you should do to position yourself to have a successful sale of your business? So, you know, I think it all, you know, like I said previously, it comes down to cash flow. I, so many times when I see somebody who's trying to sell their business or deal with brokers who are, you know, trying to get the information to list a business or on the other side, people who have recently purchased a business, really what that buyer is looking for is sustainable cash flow, right? How much money will be in their pocket every month for running this business? And, you know, I think as operators, we look a lot at the top line, right? I want my sales to grow by 20% or I want my, you know, growth to be double in two years. But if that's, if the cost of that is losing money as a business, I think we need to be very careful because, you know, the people that I've seen get the most dollars for their sale are ones that really knew, you know, three or four years before they ever sold that they were going to sell. And what they really focused on was a clear paper trail of profits and cash in the business. So I think what happens in growth is that, you know, you're going to have years where you have, you know, break even or, or maybe even a loss because you're building out a new location or you're taking bonus depreciation on, you know, redoing a kitchen and all of those are great. But I think that we have to be very aware of the fact that when you go to sell, you know, the buyer really cares about the profits and the cash flow. So, you know, one thing I would do and one thing that we're coaching our clients to do is really watch your net income, you know, every month and track it as a percent because at a minimum, after all of the lifestyle things and all of the owner compensation, your business still should have a 10% net income. And that is not just, you know, for selling it, but that's just sustainability, right? Because you can do a lot more if you know that you have 10% minimum going to the bottom line than you can when you get into single digits and potentially break even. And I think all of that goes into then having a very clean, healthy P&L to present to buyers who then, you know, will pay more for that, you know, free cash flow and that profit. Let's say I'm 60 years old and my plan has always been to sell my business at age 65. When would be the best time to start to do some of the preliminary work? Maybe do some strategic preparation for the sale if I've got a five-year window. Do I start right then or do I wait until that last year? What would you advise somebody to do there? Well, at a minimum, most of the transactions I've seen have a three-year look back. So I would say at a minimum, you would want to start you know, maybe four years out because you still are going to have to make some changes, you know, going into that third year and then working your way forward. But the big things to consider in, in that is, you know, how you pay yourself, making sure that it's very clear what you're getting paid, you know, especially if you're, you know, a sole proprietor or, you know, single owner, you know, there's times where it's like, okay, you know, my car is in the business. And so, you know, I get to pay for that and my cell phone and all of these things that, you know, are truly business expenses, but you want to make sure that it's very clear to the buyer that, you know, your salary may be this, but you also have your cell phone, you also have your car. And, and I think there's a lot of, you know, good templates out there on, online, but as the owner, you know, sitting down and really looking as if you were the buyer doing the investigation, it will give you a different 
outlook into how your business presents itself currently and anything that you would want to change. But I would say at a minimum three years, because they're going to obviously also look at your tax return. So if you're showing a PL that shows a great profit margin, but you don't have a tax return that shows income, I mean, that's a big deal as well, because the buyer is going to rely on the tax return, not just your internal PL. So I think everybody right now is concerned about what's going to happen with capital gains taxes. You know, the 40% number is floating around and whether or not that comes to fruition, how can somebody prepare for that to happen or avoid it altogether? It feels like installment sales are being talked about an awful lot. And I don't think people fully understand what they are and how they work. So maybe kind of walk us through some strategies that people are implementing and how you would structure it as far as the duration and maybe what the risk of something like that is. Yes. So I definitely think um, the biggest factor to consider before, you know, going, you know, too deeply into the, the rate is what your cost basis is in the business. A lot of times this hasn't been tracked by the owner or it's just wrong on the tax return or it, you know, really hasn't been followed. And so many times I have seen business owners that go to sell their business get taxed on a dollar amount that's wrong because they never put in their initial purchase of the business or the initial money that it took to get started. Because, you know, pragmatically, you start the business, you have an eight-month build-out, you know, you put in $500,000 of your own money from somewhere else. And then after you're open, you start, you know, a QuickBooks file or, you know, whatever accounting software you're using to track. And you never even think about the 500000 that you put in initially. And maybe it gets on the tax return. I've seen cases where it doesn't. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years, you now really don't show this paper trail of the dollars that you put in to that business initially. And, you know, subsequently the dollars that you took out, and that is such an important number because as the owner, you are taxed on the net of what you ultimately sell it for and your original cost in the business. So it's so important, you know, I would say year out minimum to go back through your records, go back through the times you put money in, go back through the times you took money out, initial cost, make sure all of, you know, projects that were done, everything has been tracked so that you have an accurate cost basis. And then the second part of that, like you said, is kind of figuring out a good way to structure the sale. Now, I think at the end of the day, there's things we can't control, things we can't control. And if the tax rate goes up, you know, there, that is hard to completely avoid, right? Um, but like you brought up, you know, while we want to make sure that you have a lower rate or the best rate possible, you also want to make sure that if it's somebody that you don't know or that it's, you know, a stranger that is buying the business that you're not setting yourself up for bigger risk. You know, let's say that person gets sick or they, you know, the business fails a year from now. I mean, you want to make sure that you do get your your sale, your dollars for the sale. So I, you know, I think anytime you're going to do an installment sale, it would really want to make sure that it's, you know, between family members or, you know, there's some sort of underlying agreement or, you know, uh, some sort of mitigation of risk before, you know, agreeing to like a 10 year, um, you know, monthly payment just to avoid a tax rate. So I think there's a lot that goes into that. But I think, you know, being aware of other risks that could be there if we did do an installment sale. I mean, that being said, I think the installment sale works really well for passing on to the next generation or, you know, kind of helping the, the parent exit and the son or daughter takes over. 
I mean, in that case, you know, an installment sale can really work and, and help offset and not, you know, trigger higher gains and, and all of those sorts of things. But, you know, I really believe in a holistic approach and just making sure that we've thought through everything, you know, and the tax rate is part of that. I know that we've elaborated quite a bit on cash flows during this show, but I've also heard you talk about the utilization of tax credits as value drivers for business owners. Would you care to elaborate on this as far as what some of those credits are that we might be missing out on? Yes. So, I mean, I think in any year, there are always credits that, you know, maybe take a little bit of time to look uh, at. But this year, more than ever, you know, the employee retention tax credit, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, in, you know, at the end of 2020, a rule was passed as part of, you know, the next round of stimulus that allowed for businesses who had already taken PPP to still be eligible for the employee retention tax credit. Um, and the criteria for the tax credit is actually, it's an either or. It's either your business for 2020 was down substantially year over year, um, and the rule is 50% for 2020, although that changes in 2021, so there's a lot of rules here. But the other factor is that your business was prohibited um, in some way due to the restrictions. So for a lot of our clients who were very heavily into catering, um, especially we deal a lot with hospitality. So, you know, people who had, you know, 40% of their business was catering to offices. Well, the offices aren't able to be open. So therefore that, you know, business has been significantly restricted or, you know, your state has a capacity restriction that doesn't allow more than 10 people to gather and you did weddings, right? So, so I would really look into the ways that your operations were impacted. I mean, the IRS gives an example of, you know, a, a science, company where, you know, the employees could work from home, but the employees couldn't work in the lab. So therefore they were restricted. So that would make them eligible. So it's not a revenue test necessarily, but it's either your operations were impacted by restrictions or your sales are down 50%. If that is the case, you are eligible for up to $5,000 per employee for 2020. In 2021, the restrictions actually, or the rules for the credit um, are go change a little bit to a only 20% revenue reduction criteria, and then the same restriction rules as 2020. But the credit in 2021 is up to 7,000 per employee per quarter. So the dollars on the table are significant. And the interesting thing here is that this is actually a refundable credit. A lot of people think it means, okay, so I'm, you know, my payroll taxes, I'm going to get my payroll taxes back, but it's actually not. It's a refundable credit, which means you're actually getting more than you paid in, in the form of a refund. So we've had clients that have gotten significant dollars back for 2020 and, you know, many who still are eligible, at least through the first quarter of 2021, you know, depending on where they are located, but my thought here, especially, you know, for people who have been very hard hit, you know, by COVID-19 is this can be a great way to build your cash reserves because it's a refund, right? So just like on your personal return, if you get a refund one year, I mean, that that's what it is, right? There's no, there's no rules. There's no forgiveness like we have with PPP. And for so many businesses, if you can end 2021 in a great cash position, I mean, it's life changing, right? You can do all of the things that we talked about to, you know, build cash reserves, build your retirement plan, 
maybe 401k. I mean, all of those things are on the table if you can have a great cash position. And I think ERTC is one of the best kept secrets for businesses. And it's any type of business if you meet those two criteria. And there's a ton of great information here. I don't think it matters if you're a business owner, somebody that's an entrepreneur looking to start a business or a financial advisor talking to business owners. feels like there's a lot of meat that we just packed in here on the show. So thank you very much for taking the time to join us and sharing your thoughts. No, thank you so much. I, I encourage anyone, if you have questions, uh, you can definitely go to our website. It's www.thelargogroup.com. Uh, you can fill out a request for consultation time. I'm happy to walk through anything, um, you know, free of charge. I, you know, our goal is really to get the information out there so that everybody can be in a great position coming out of this. For more content from Anne, you can follow The Largo Group on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Matt Rush SFP. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to be notified as new episodes are released. And if you'd like to contact myself or our firm, check us out online at strategicfinancialpartners.com. <laughs>